0: starting to connect all the dots together um yes like i said i don't think there's there's no panacea that's going to solve people's problems straight away but it's starting to look at your food look at your food preparation look at your connection look at your emotional health look at your spiritual health look at your community health look at the your water quality look at the air look at your access to nature your connection to nature all these things tie in you know what we I always say like you know humans are a scoby we're a similar colony of bacteria and yeast we you know we don't exist in isolation we don't exist in a reductionist model we exist in community and we exist in multi-dimensions and when we start to incorporate all of that we start to find harmony and balance of you know all levels of health and I think that's
1: really important I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Pie people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context, so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing, and health. Hi, everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mummers podcast. Super excited, as always, to have our guest here today, who's sort of local ish. She has lived really close to where I am and still lives fairly close. Uh, Sammy Jaco, an amazing, multi-talented and passionate cross-pollinator. Sammy is the founder of Fermenting Australia and has a background in nutritional medicine and natural health. With a passion to teach and share the wonderful and fascinating world of fermented food in a way that is accessible, easy and fun. Her workshops are energetic, informative and dynamic. Sammy is also one half of the Gut Warriors, a dynamic duo who travel around the country teaching sellout gut health seminars extensively about the human microbiome, food to support gut health, and of course, fermented foods. Recently, Sammy featured alongside 40 other health practitioners and experts on the docu series The Gut Solution. Sammy is also passionate about traditional foods and reviving these traditions for a thriving life. However, there's another holistic, soulful side to Sammy's work. Trained in counselling, nutritional medicine, as I mentioned, and funeral celebrancy, Sammy believes that true health comes from supporting the individual on all levels, mind, heart, body and soul. Specialising in grief and bereavement, loss, trauma, relationship support, life direction, guidance and spiritual balance. Sammy is able to gently and professionally hold space for you in the counselling room to share and be supported through many of the difficult and confusing times that we experience in life along the way. So thank you so much for being here, Sammy. Super excited for this chat. How are you? Thank you you for
0: having me. Hi, Shelley. No, I'm really good. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here today. And um, hearing all that back, I think, wow, we were just talking before, um, when I hear the things that I do, it excites me. And then I think, oh, wow, of course it does. That's why I do it <laughs> with so much um, excitement and passion. And, it, um, yeah, beautiful. Great to be here.
1: I really love reading out people's intros. It, first of all, I like getting them written and sorted. And often the words are already there. But then reading it just sort of, yeah, it really gives me a lot of appreciation and respect for the person I'm talking to. And I love that you said that, that you hear the amazing work you're doing, you have that reflected back to you because sometimes when you're in it and doing it, then it, for it to be spoken in this short little 30-second, one-minute thing is, yeah, it's powerful.
0: Oh, look, totally. Sometimes you get stuck in um, busy and just in to-do lists and things and then it's nice just to take a moment of just reminding or reminding yourself or being reminded, you know, like you did for me, of the bigger picture as well and then just go, wow, this is, this is big work and this
1: is exciting work.
0: And Absolutely.
1: Um, so Sammy, I'd love for you to start off by telling us about your first encounter with cultured foods and how it became yeah. such a passion for you.
0: Okay, well fermented foods sort of, I guess they they slowly grew on me over time. Um, I, I had a background in nutrition and natural health. I was studying, um, I was working in a health food store in Queensland and uh um, yeah, doing a lot of study and just absorbing myself in in nutrition and natural health. Um, But fermented foods had kind of just, were just starting to come into my awareness. And I think years prior to that, I actually lived in Poland for um, a few months, which is my sort of ancestral heritage. My dad's from Poland. And I was living with family over there and um, we're shown all these fermented foods and ate all these fermented foods and we're shown how to make them. They're just so much part of, you know, the, the culture in Poland. But I just, I was 19, so I put that in the interesting but too hard, not interested basket and just left that one for a while. And then when I was studying nutrition and natural health and things, I was studying lots of different lifestyle diets around the world. And, again, I remember coming across macrobiotic diets, uh, which mentioned fermented foods featured quite heavily. And, again, I sort of said, well, wow, you know, interesting um, but too hard, something I'll never do wow, okay, whatever, and just put that away in too hard basket again. But I think fermented foods had, you know, a bigger goal for me and they sort of kept tapping me on my shoulder until I'd listened. Finally, I saw Graeme State. You know Graeme State, don't you, Shelley, Um, from NutriTech Solutions. He talks a lot about um, soil health, human health and animal health. Um, He was presenting at a festival, a big um, climate change festival that I was part of organising years ago, and he was talking about sauerkraut. And I went, okay, fine, this is the third time I've heard this. Um, I'm going to start paying attention now. So I started to uh, to research and to um, learn about fermented foods. And through, it was really through looking at traditional diets, uh, really transforming my own diet and discovering traditional foods, the Western A. Price Foundation, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later, and... Um, that's where um, sauerkraut and fermented foods started to really um, expand in my awareness. And from there I just started fermenting and experimenting and uh, teaching myself. I I gave myself a mission to to try everything and to not be scared. I, I, I gave myself a mission to try first and ask questions later when it came to fermenting. Uh, so I really got to work out what worked what, and, and sort of have a full understanding of the fermentation process with, with fermented vegetables. And they just started to expand um, in my life and in my awareness, and which brought me to where I am now, you know, maybe 12 years later, which is, you know, teaching fermented workshops around the country, you know, having an online masterclass, you know, owning, you know, fermenting Australia and, and sharing um, the, the wonders and the joy and the health benefits of fermented foods. Yeah. And that's the short version.
1: <laughs> it always is the short version. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. I love that there's that ancestral background too with your Polish side. Mm. Did you grow up eating any fermented foods or was it only when you went to visit family in Poland?
0: Yeah, it's funny. So my dad's Polish. And um, so I grew up on, on his side of the family with a lot of sort of traditional foods. We eat lots of Porsche and bigos and, and bakujani and, you know, cabbage rolls and things like that. Um, from memory in Australia, I didn't grow up eating a lot of fermented foods. Uh, my mum tells me that pickles were one of my first foods as a baby and one of my favourite foods. She used to pop me in my high chair and um, while she was cooking dinner and feed me pickles to keep me happy. I love um, that. So I think I, I certainly had um, a palate for those types of foods from a very early age. Um, I certainly believe that it is in, you know, in my uh, cellular memory and, um, and, yeah, I guess just in my blood, you know, having that, that Polish kind of background. Uh, but it wasn't really until I was in Poland in 2001. I was in, in Poland and um, started to see these, these fermented foods in real life and people just eating them, they were just a normal part of their culture. You could buy, there'd be um, shops selling fresh raw kefir um, fermented milk and things just at the general stores and at the markets and things like that. So that's when I really started to see fermented foods um, living and existing and thriving in, in a, a cultural landscape. So that was pretty special.
1: Mm, lots of seeds planted along the way from the pickles to that polish trip and then how did your dad or how does your dad feel now that you've really revived this as a part of your life and sharing it with so many people
0: yeah um, I, I think he he had a very fragmented kind of back um connection to his culture as well so I think you know you know he came to Australia as a refugee after the war and our family was all dispersed all throughout Europe so you know we have a lot of um uh, you yeah, know, pretty sort of painful, I guess, background of a lot of sort of trauma from you know, the wars in Europe. Oh. So I think, um, you know, the, I think one of the beautiful things about fermented foods is that it really does tie us back to our, our ancestral heritage. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, it, it brings us back to finding and knowing who we are. Um, and I feel for me um, you know, as a sort of a first generation Australian, you know, my dad came out here as a refugee as a child, um, kind of finding your place and finding your place in two cultures and wanting to deeply connect with some culture that's bigger than you and that gives you meaning and, and sort of connects you to your family and your roots and things like that. And so for me at least, I don't know about for my dad, it's sort of harder to speak for him, but for me, um, feeling that connection to fermented foods was so much more than sauerkraut. It was a really deep ancestral belonging and coming home. Um, and I find a lot of people find that when they start to connect with the foods of their ancestry, it, it awakens something inside them, whether it's a cellular memory, an ancestral memory, or just a deeps sort of genetic code that's kind of unlocked. Um yeah it really brought me at peace with my ancestral heritage and I'm um, connected to it as well so it was pretty special
1: oh, I love that yeah I love all the yeah. stories that in the background that have led for someone to be where they are and what their ancestors have where they've traveled and what they've had to go through to get there I totally mm-hmm. agree with that feeling of when you start to connect with your ancestral foods, although we're so lucky to have global cuisine and access to, you know, native indigenous foods, that connection does feel like it awakens something. I've really been looking into seaweeds a lot. I've always loved seaweeds and just thought it was a Japanese-Korean thing and that I wanted to go there. And then I discovered that the Irish ate and had seaweed as a massive part of their cuisine.
0: Absolutely. But Irish moss, wasn't it? It was yeah. a seaweed Irish moss.
1: But then yeah. also it's like kelp
0: dust mm. lots of
1: stuff yeah like lots of seaweed. so i was like oh okay that's why i'm so drawn to eat more seaweed and go to the beach and collect and yeah i love that feeling that you can live in a global society yet still have um food as a connection to your ancestors and it's a really nice meeting place when people meet around food it's where we've always met it's where we can share and appreciate other cultures share our own it's beautiful i love that story
0: Oh, I think it's so special. And I think, you know, um, you know, in traditional foods we often talk about, you know, traditional wisdom for a modern world. And it's like finding that balance, you know, like you say, we're so lucky that we have this global cuisine available to us. We're so lucky we have all this information available to us. Um, and you know, we can really take advantage of, of this amazing modern world we live in, and yet there's something so grounding and humbling to connect with that ancestral ancient wisdom as well. And I think when you find that sweet spot between the two of those things is where we can really um, find our place and, um, yeah, and move forward, you know, in, you know navigating a modern world but with that deep connection
1: behind us. Mm, and I think that will help people to respect other cultures as well and not suppress when they're strong in their own but also i've seen this with postpartum care and talking to my filipino mother-in-law And when she came here she knew of the postpartum cultural practices didn't get to experience them and i was like well how many generations will it take till it's completely lost if you're outside of the country so being able to really hold on to your um ancestral traditions and keep that culture alive without excluding other cultures and we can do both at the same time. And it's, there's more and more of it happening, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, and taking pride in your ancestral heritage and not feeling like it's something that needs to be yeah, suppressed or, or lost. Um, or I modernized. think it's, yeah, it's very important for so many, so many
1: cultures.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, the pressure to modernise. So mm. traditionally, fermented foods were widespread and in every culture, right?
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And that, I guess that goes back to what we were saying just now as well. Um, you know, the thing, one of the things I love about fermented foods and teaching fermented foods, and I say this a lot in my classes, I go, guys, this is so much more than just sauerkraut. You know, this is this, this is big, you know. And you know, I always say that every culture has a culture of cultured foods. Um we can jump all over the world, and one, you know, one of the few things that you know every culture around the world has in common is that they all fermented foods of some sort in some way. Um, you know, we can go to, for example, Eastern Europe, which is my ancestral heritage. We've got our sauerkrauts, our kastjers, our kawassas, uh, which are really delicious. You can go to um, Korea. We have our, our kimchis, which are very popular. All through Southeast Asia, they would ferment, you know, fish sauces and lots of uh, fish as well. Japan, we can have lots of bean and grain ferments. Our miso, our natto, koji—it's um, just everywhere. You know, we've got African millet fermented millet porridges. You know, in in Scotland, they'd ferment fish. They'd ferment oat cakes. They'd ferment all types of things. So yes, every culture really. Um, has a tradition of, of fermented foods of some sort and again i think that's where for everybody um, there is some deep resonance with fermented foods whether it's conscious or not um, it, it's certainly part of our, our um collective as a as humanity and um i love you know learning and witnessing and observing and um experiencing fermented foods um on that level as well um, it's great to go, go travelling overseas through a fermented food lens. <laughs> it yeah. takes you to pretty exciting Absolutely. places. So, yeah.
1: And often um, grains were fermented. So most people have had a sourdough bread and the common ferments being um, sauerkraut or kombucha. But with the breads, mm. when you look, most cultures were fermenting their grains. Like when you go to India, they fermented rice and um, a type of lentil to make dosa and idli yeah, the Italy. yeah. Also, um there was steamed bread like in philip the philippines have just discovered a ste- uh, fermented and steamed rice cake mm. and so now we're seeing so many people with gut issues eating grains but traditionally they were usually mostly fermented so yeah go sorry
0: oh no i was going to say you know we, we talk about um this traditional knowledge and, and what I love about sort of traditional foods is that they didn't tend to um, eliminate any food groups, you know, for, for health or anything, but they would prepare their food in the correct way. And what the research is really catching up with traditional wisdom as well is that a lot of grains, a lot of nuts and legumes have things like um, uh, anti-nutrients, lectins, ponins and things in them, the like gliadin and gluten, Um, And all these things can be quite irritating and toxic on our bodies if they're not prepared properly. But all you need to simply do is to do the right preparation methods, which is usually soaking, what we now know is like, say, activating nuts, for example, um, leavening the grains, so leavening them into a sourdough or sprouting them as well. So sprouted bread, sprouted grains and things have a real traditional kind of um, wisdom behind them. And in doing those those processes and correctly preparing those grains and then fermenting them as well, like you were saying, um, they're much more digestible. Um, they're not causing irritation on the gut. Those toxic anti nutrients and phyto phyto um, chemicals and things are neutralised in those the fermented leavening or soaking processes. Um, so. That's what I love to teach as well with people with food. It's not about eliminating things. It's not about denying yourself food groups. It's about learning how to prepare those foods correctly um, for optimal nutrition and optimal digestion and gut health as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some people might need to eliminate for a time to do the gut healing, but then to know that there's the possibility of a future that includes all food groups when you have that knowledge of how to prepare well. And that really ties into the Wise Traditions Diet and the Western A Price Philosophy and Foundation, which I know you're really interested and passionate in, have been for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about, give people a little 101 in case this is their first time? Listening to
0: yes, it. I would love to. Um, I know that you interviewed Hilda um, Hilda Gore recently when she was in Australia. I got to meet her when she was in Sydney speaking, which was really exciting. So, um, And she um, is travelling as part of the Western Aid Price Foundation um, tour um, of Australia. So I guess a quick 101 on Western Aid Price and I guess my perspective on it as well and my introduction to it is... Um, Dr. Weston A. Price was a dentist in the 1930s in Cleveland, Ohio, and he lived in a fascinating time in, in history. And I just think we were just so lucky that he existed during this snapshot in, in time where travel was difficult but, but available for him and photography was available. So he had that the modern kind of tools. He had a camera. He was able to document things. But he also lived in a time where people all over the world were still living in um, traditional isolated communities eating traditional diets. And so um, Dr. Weston Price and his wife travelled all over the world documenting people eating their traditional diets. Um, So he went, he saw the Australian Aborigines in the Northern Territory. He went to New Zealand. He was in the South Pacific. He documented the Maasai in Africa. He was in the New Hebrides in Scotland. He was in Switzerland. He was in North um, in Alaska, travelled all over the world. And what he did is he studied people in isolated communities and he documented them um, with quite a lot of detail, particularly how to focus on their teeth and their dental structure because he was a dentist, but also with the understanding that um, the health of our teeth and our, our dental arches and, and things like that are actually a real window to the health of the rest of our body. And what he found, and he had a particular interest in looking at their diets and what common features all these these traditional cultures around the world had. And the fascinating thing is that he found that people all over the world ate an incredibly varied diet. Um, so, for example, the Maasai in Africa lived primarily off the blood and the milk of their beasts. Um, in, you know, the Inuits in, in northern Alaska kind of areas ate diets that were 90% saturated fat, so whale blubber, seal blubber, things like that. You know, some cultures were a lot more plant-based. However, despite this huge variation in diet around the world, all these traditional cultures around the world had traditional pillars or tenets of traditional foods that they all shared in common. And some of those things were, you know, for example, they all activated or soaked or sprouted or fermented their nuts, grains and seeds. They all ate meat of some sort. Now, Dr. Weston A. Price was particularly interested to see if he could find an exclusive vegan or vegetarian culture and he did not find one anywhere in the world where he studied. And he was um,
1: disappointed about that.
0: He was. Yeah. He was. Um, but I think that the, what it taught him was that even cultures that ate Diets that were primarily plant-based would still seek out um, eggs, insects, fish, seafood and things like that. So that they understood the importance of those animal foods in a traditional diet. Um, they all ate foods high in saturated fats, animal fats and um, organ meats. They ate a lot of the animals' organs, bones in, in, in broths and soups and things like that. One of the things he found is they, they all had a tradition of cultured or fermented foods of some sort. Um, if they ate dairy, it was either raw or fermented dairy. Um, Lots of, um, you know, organically grown, you chemical-free because that's all they had in their traditional isolated cultures, um, vegetables, you know. And, of course, they didn't eat any processed foods because they didn't exist. Um, And what he found is people in these isolated communities eating these traditional diets had incredible health. Um, and their teeth were, were clean and, and had incredible dental structure. They could have enough room in their mouths for all their wisdom teeth. Their facial structure was, was symmetrical and, and strong. They had broad faces. Women had broad, you know, healthy hips where they could give birth, you know, generation after generation without medical intervention um, and experience incredible health. And then what he found when he studied the same people with the same genetics, this from the same villages and the same kind of um, races and genes, once they moved to eating foods of modern society, I think he called them processed foods of modern displacement or something, um, their health declined rapidly. And so it really turned on its head a lot of that idea about, oh, it's just the genes, um, where really it was the, the food that they were eating and seeing within one generation people's health decline so rapidly once they started to eat, you know, white flour, jams, sugars, um, industrial oils and things like that. Um, so the Western A Price Foundation is a not-for-profit um, foundation based in the States that's really about sharing these traditional foods, um, connecting farmers and consumers um, and consumers with with producers of these, of you know, traditional foods in a, in a modern world. Um, now, I've been the Western A Price chapter leader for the Manning Valley when I lived in the Manning Valley for quite a few years um, and have been involved in the Western Price Foundation for yeah, nearly 10 years now um, because it just makes sense. It's, it's eating a diet that we're biologically designed to eat that thousands of generations of healthy people before us have eaten and thrived on. Um, so to me, it's um, again, it's one of those things that make, make everything make sense again.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. It does just make sense. I was the same. I tried so many different types of eating, healing my gut, and when mm. I came across the Western A. Price philosophy, it just made so much sense. And the great mm. thing is these days it, well, there's a debate over. Uh, what I like actually is that Western A. Price had a bit of a bias. He wanted to find a plant-based society, which shows that even in the face of it when he didn't, he had to, he had to accept that. And, mm-hmm. and also that with the debate, which is quite a heated one around eating a plant-based diet or including animal products, that if people choose to eat animal products, we have got the option now to eat animal products from more sustainable, regenerative, regenerative, sorry, agricultural sources that are not contributing to climate change. So there's some really mm-hmm. wonderful... Um, Initiatives and practices going on, so you can feel a lot better about uh, where you're getting your animal foods from, and also looking at those fat-soluble vitamins like the A, D, K, well, K two or K three. Mm-hmm. Always forget an E. They were ten times higher in the traditional diets than what we're eating now that's huge, <laughs> and seeing how important those nutrients are and that a lot of them can only be sourced via animal products. So yeah. it just makes so much sense. And I love what Western A. Price is doing also to educate people and just have really grounded, practical, here's the facts, here's the way you can implement in your life. And it's so important for our children's health too, from nice. conception, preconception. All of those cultures had preconception diets. Fruit exactly,
0: that was a big part of his research as well. Was you're right. You know, all cultures would, you know, feed um, women and men of childbearing years. You know, those really nutrient dense foods, full of those fat soluble vitamins, things that were really um, conception foods and, and really it would help with healthy babies. And they really placed a lot of emphasis on supporting women during those sort of years in their lives to eat foods that would really um, allow them to have healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. Um, so I think it's sort of the idea that it's um, about the next generation as well and really consciously preparing our women to, to have a healthy generation of, of babies. Um, and that was something that, yeah, Western Egg Price discovered. A lot of cultures um, really, really emphasised that as well, which I think we, we you know, I mean, your, your work is, is um, bringing that into awareness for a lot of people, Shelley, but we don't tend to have that. We sort of don't think about those sorts of things. Um, about preparing women for conception, preparing women for healthy pregnancies, and men as well.
1: Yeah, we're just sort of responding once people are depleted and, and yeah. you now instead aiming for a culture where we're thriving, not just surviving. And Sally Fallon, who has really been um, so key in following on Western A Price's work with her books, she's really passionate about that aspect too of, of maternal health and family health. Thank you so much for that snapshot of Western Price. It's really you articulate it so well, and you really covered so many things. It was awesome.
0: Yes, well, can I do a little plug because I'm actually doing a Western Price um, seminar in November in Sydney as well. So with uh, Brenda Rogers, who's a naturopath, and she's also a Western Price chapter leader. So um, yes, I've been teaching this stuff for a really long time, and I think it's starting to really infiltrate. Um, and it's no longer the weird people who advocate eating pâté and butter. Um, <laughs> but people start to go, yeah, like this stuff makes sense. Um, and there's a real thirst or a hunger, you know, excuse the pun, to, to um, understand more of, of these traditional foods. So it's something that I really love to teach and really looking forward to um, this seminar in November as well.
1: Well, that's exciting. I'll make sure to put all those links up and I'll have to chat to you after um, this about the chapter leader, I suppose. Yes. Yes, But I would love you to share with us a little bit more about how Fermenting Australia was born.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so I, as I was telling you, I, you know, got into fermenting and I was doing this, you know, experimental, you know, ask questions later, just get your hands dirty and make sauerkraut kind of approach to, to fermenting. And I realised that it was actually quite Fun. Um, I realized it was actually quite easy, and I realized it was delicious. Um, so I started really um, fermenting anything and everything I could find uh, for quite a period of time, and just really enjoying it and just having a lot of fun. And then people started to ask me, you know, like, you know, how do I how do I make fermented foods, and you know, could you teach me and things like that. So this was I'm talking sort of maybe eight years ago at this point, where it really still was a very very fringe thing. Um, not if I mentioned sauerkraut or fermented foods to people, most people would look at me kind of funny. I was kind of the weird person whose house kind of smelled like sauerkraut. Um, <laughs> and, um, I love yes, it. I certainly I like, it.
1: I had kombucha bubbling away in different
0: bars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, that's it. and there'd be a few sort of like-minded people that you'd see. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, you know, you get it too. Whereas now it's so common, which I'm just so proud of. It's so fantastic. But back then it really was a pretty fringe thing to, to be doing. Uh, and it, there was less information available. There was still a lot. I was reading a lot, researching a lot and teaching myself a lot. Um, but I just started to um, to teach people. And I did my first lot of classes Um I just ran a little Facebook page called Vibrant Traditional Nutrition and ran a few classes teaching fermented foods um, on the Central Coast. I think I did my first class and then in Wingham I did some classes and I kind of went, wow, people um, are really responding to this and really um, lapping up this information because it's just so crucial And for so many people, I was finding the results that I was getting when I was teaching them how to eat fermented foods and they were taking these foods home to their families, they were saying, like, this is the missing piece in our puzzle. Like, you know, my whole family's health is transformed or my child's gut problems have just um, resolved themselves or I can think clearly now, Sammy. So I started to go, well, this is is important. This is really important stuff. And I started to continue to... uh, teach it and so i was living on an off-grid property in the manning valley we had a 180 acre bush you know block up in the rainforest um and we grew a lot of our own food we had a bits of um, permaculture food forest that we were growing in swales on the side of our mountain and um which was a great place to be fermenting because you grow so much food as you know too shall you have this like abundance of certain uh, crops and vegetables and herbs and things so you think oh god what will I do with this? So, you find a way to ferment it um, and get creative. So, um, that's where my business, Fermenting Australia, was born, was from up there. And I played with business names like Fermental and all these kind of funny things. And then I said, No, you know, I really want to um, take ownership of this. Um, so, I, you know, called my business Fermenting Australia. And I've been fermenting around the country ever since. Um, Yeah, and sharing the the word of you, teaching fermented foods, teaching at workshops and seminars and um, I work at cooking schools in Sydney and Melbourne. I I tour regularly teaching my classes and it still just never ceases to amaze me um, how much joy I get from teaching fermented foods, how much joy I get from eating fermented foods and um, how many amazing people I meet who are, you know, on their own health journeys and... um, you know, really open-minded and, and learning beautiful things and teaching me things and I've been very lucky with it. It's, it's been just an absolute joy.
1: Yeah, how amazing going from just a few little workshops here and there to touring around. Yeah. You really are the culture queen.
0: <laughs> <I've been> talking- <laughs> I get called that, but it's, it's, <laughs> I get called that a lot and, I, it, you know, it's, it's weird when people say that because I think it's just me making sauerkraut. Um, but, yeah, you know, I was on this documentary this year and they they contacted me and said, we'd love you to, um, to be filmed for this, like, international gut health documentary. And I just went, me? <laughs> really? Little old me. Um, and I was with all these new gut health experts from around the world, a lot of who I look up to and have followed myself. Um, so that was um, an incredibly humbling experience. And, you know, I guess it made me realise that, you know, Uh, yeah what I'm teaching is important and what I'm sharing with the world is important and um yeah I'm proud of that
1: absolutely you should be and I think the thing is like you hold a number of key elements like when you talk about it you talk about with such passion be really intelligent you can articulate it well you're living it so there's that real integrity so all of those that combination of ingredients then makes it so accessible to people and then people really want to get on board. They're like, I want a bit of what she's having.
0: <laughs> yeah. You look healthy,
1: you're happy, you're passionate, you've got energy. So, yeah. I think yeah, totally. And
0: I, I think um, of what, when I teach fermenting, I, I like it to be accessible for people. Um, I'm not about um, making things hard. I'm not about keeping secrets or making it, you know, um, some exclusive kind of thing that people don't have access to. I think it should be accessible, available and affordable to everybody. Um, you know, I've lived both sides. You know, I've lived on an off-grid property growing my own biodynamic vegetables and I now live in a little urban beach shack, you know, <laughs> um, near the beach. And I sometimes, and I'm busy and I'm a single mum. Sometimes I shop at the supermarket, you know, and heaven forbid I buy, you know, commercial food from the supermarket. <laughs> um, but it's real and it's accessible and it's affordable. It's not like going, oh, well, Sammy, that's easy for you to say. You're growing biodynamic cabbages in your off-grid property. You know, I'm just me working and being a mum and, you know, having to shop at supermarkets. I'm like, no, I hear you. Um, this stuff is it should be accessible and doable for everybody. Um, it's not... Yeah, and I like that. It's a real level playing ground when it comes to fermented foods and um, the way that I think I like to share it with people. I hope is, is authentic. You know, my life hasn't always been easy. There's been a lot of challenges. So um, it's about acknowledging everybody, you know. We, we all have challenges. Um, but This is something that, you know, we can incorporate into our diets and into our lifestyle and that and feel that connection. And it can give us, you know, vibrant health and and joy and energy Um, yeah
1: i'd like to actually talk about that a little bit so now we're hearing more and more the term the gut mind gut brain axis Mm -hmm. so i'd love for you to share a little bit about what that means also what your experience has been with that Mm -hmm. And what some of the research or even stories that you've heard back, you've mentioned earlier on that you've heard people come back and go, oh, my child's behaviour or my child's health or my health. Um, Yeah, just a little bit about, we're not just talking about physical health here. We're not just talking about making delicious fermented foods for our gut health. We're talking about this can have a huge impact on people's mental health. So, yeah, I'd love for you to share what your experience has been.
0: Okay, no, I'd love to. Um, and I, I, I'm going to start back with another reason why I really started researching years and years ago into gut health and into, I guess, the microbiome and things, which is what I guess what got me you know, involved in this mad researching into food and nutrition and lifestyle diets, which is originally what got me interested in fermenting. And um, it's going to come with a trigger warning. So I, I want to warn your viewers as well um, that I'm going to just briefly talk about suicide. Um, I do like to warn people because sometimes it can be I used to get shocked and quite triggered when I heard that word Um, but years ago about 12 years ago I was in a um, a domestic violence relationship um, with a man who was not well uh, not well mentally at all and our relationship actually ended when he died by suicide and I, I was very young. I was a long way from home. I suffered immense grief and trauma from that relationship and from his subsequent suicide. So I, I went down a very, very dark, dark, dark hole of, um, of drugs and alcohol and self-destruction and, and grief and trauma, and it took me a long time to get out of that. And to be honest, really, I probably carried that, that grief and that guilt from his death for about 10 years. Um, It's only been the last of four years that I've really actively kind of worked on myself to heal a lot of that that pain and that trauma. But what I started to do as I was researching, as I started crawling myself out of this black hole of 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 depression and anxiety and and PTSD, um, I started researching, Um, and that's where I found. One night I was studying one of my big physiology textbooks for my nutrition degree, and there was this. Paragraph, I remember it so clearly, and it said that there, you know, researchers believe that there is this link between gut health and mental health. And this is that, remember, this is 12, 14 years ago. So this is before it's been that big in our awareness. And that was a real light bulb, sort of aha moment for me, like, wow, okay. And so I thought about this man who had died by suicide, who had had incredible mental health challenges. Um, and had taken it out, rightly or wrongly, on, on the people around him. Um, and I went and I started thinking about his gut and his diet. And he had, you know, a lot of chronic gut problems and a terrible diet. He had, he you know, couldn't eat gluten, he couldn't eat this. Everything made him bloated. Everything made him sick. And he was incredibly mentally unwell. And this, for me, as a 23-year-old, I think I would have been. I went, wow, this is big. So that's what really got me starting to research and study further and further into the, the gut connection and the and the gut brain connection, what we now know as the gut brain axis. You know, in all a lot of traditional cultures, you know, our First Nations people in Australia, if you ask them how you are and you are well, you will respond with me good tummy, or me me happy belly. You know even our you know our first Nations people, people all around the world for thousands of generations understood the importance of how you feel in your tummy and how you feel in your heart and in your head. And what we're now starting to do is we're catching up with that research with the, in starting to understand that ninety percent of our serotonin neuroreceptors are actually based in the gut. So we're starting to see more and more the importance of healing our gut is having a massive impact on healing people's mental health. They call our gut the second brain. And so through my own experience of starting to understand, you know, my grief and my trauma and, you know, why, you know, this, this man was so unwell and then having to claw myself back from a lot of sort of, I guess, mental health um, pain and grief and I had a lot of depression and anxiety um, through fermented foods was one of those ways that I did that. Um, and I started to clear that that mental fog and I started to clear that, that, that just um, – you know, with depression, you talk about it's like a big kind of cloud that I guess hangs over you, this darkness that hangs over you. And that started to dissipate the more that I started to um, eat traditional foods and fermented foods. Um, I did lots of other things as well, but certainly they were a really big key part of my healing. And I hear the same from so many people that I work with and that I teach is that once they start incorporating fermented foods into their diets, often that fog that mental health fog and cloud starts to shift. And so I I will never stop teaching this stuff. Um, I think I know that it saves lives. Um, I think when we have, you know, a huge epidemic of mental health conditions in our country, we have a massive epidemic of, of young male suicides in this country. Um, and we look at the diets that we're eating and the disconnection that we have to to our food and to community and to ourselves and to our ancestry, then it's no wonder that something needs to change and it's no wonder that um, people are, are hungry, like I said before, hungry to know more about how they can feel connected and how they can heal themselves with food and with fermented foods.
1: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. It's really, really powerful stuff and such a huge topic to talk about. But I really, really appreciate you to be brave enough to talk about that. But like you said, it's so important. It's just absolutely Mm -hmm. important. And when you make that connection and you have that aha moment, that link, it's, it's really empowering as well because there's positive solutions out there. And your own story is so powerful because it was not an overnight, it wasn't a quick flick of the switch, it wasn't a magic pill, it was a slow and it was a steady and it was gaining knowledge and it was just improving your health step by step. And I think that's so powerful for people out there too, wherever they are at, um, they can just start adding on little things that they can do to get to that place where they can create healing. And you're right, like we're in a world now where we're seeing an epidemic on physical health issues, mental health issues, and it's not the one sits over here and other there they are all connected mm-hmm. and more and more people are having really amazing results with gaps diet and their children, you know, we're seeing kids that are depressed mm-hmm. and this isn't, it's partly because of our modern hectic lifestyle, but it's not just that. It's a, it, there's a lot more going on as well. And there so,
0: is, yeah. and it's, it's the, it's the elements, isn't it? It's not just one thing and it's not just an overnight solution. It's, starting to connect all the dots together um yes like i said i don't think there's there's no panacea that's going to solve people's problems straight away but it's starting to look at your food look at your food preparation look at your connection look at your emotional health look at your spiritual health look at your community health look at the your water quality look at the air look at your access to nature your connection to nature all these things tie in you know what we I always say like you know humans are a scoby we're a similar colony of bacteria and yeast we you know we don't exist in isolation we don't exist in a reductionist model we exist in community and we exist in multi-dimensions and when we start to incorporate all of that we start to find harmony and balance of you know all levels of health and I think that's really important
1: yeah absolutely and to go okay there's a lot you might be at a stage where you're like oh my god there's so much for me to look at and i need to make lots of changes but i'm a huge fan of people just following their heart what is you might be opening your eyes and ears to all this new knowledge but where are you most called to are you called Mm -hmm. to going to a yoga class or a meditation class are you called to cultured foods or you're called to um eating in a different way incorporating different foods or going to whatever it is there's so many options just start there start with that one and then the next thing will come up in your heart and you just add that on slowly slowly i love what hilda says Um, she just says she started so slowly with her and her family and she had the year of butter and she (laughs) she just had a year where she switched over from margarine to butter and then the subsequent years became much easier to incorporate multiple things until after a certain amount of time you look back and you've got this beautiful healthy lifestyle and like you said it's never perfect we go to the supermarket we buy this food might be on the road we get some chips whatever but when most of the time in your home your lifestyle is healthy you've got that leeway and that's so it's good to be relaxed you want to have an ice cream sometimes when you're out or whatever.
0: Daily, any day, and I'd rather any day people um, in moderation eat something that they want or that they crave or that's easy rather than causing stress. And I always say with fermented foods, when I teach my classes, I say, listen, I don't want this. To you guys to go, oh, my goodness, now I've got to add this to my to-do list as well. Like, are you telling me now I've got to ferment every week? It's like, well, it's, let's incorporate it into Let's Let's start to ease it in. Let's start to make it work for you and into your lifestyle. It's not a massive overhaul where... Everything is, is is changes at once, um, and it's not being so rigid and so strict that you cause more damage with your rigidity than you do more mental anguish or stress than you do by going. You know what? Yeah, we're traveling. We're on the road. Let's, like you said, have some chips, or let's do this, or let's do that. Because you can, I think, a healthy body, a healthy gut, a healthy mind um, can be resilient to to those those things that we throw at it. Sometimes um, it's the body, the mind that that can't handle those things and doesn't have that resilience um, that we should be more concerned about. So I think creating resilience mentally, emotionally, and physically, is
1: so, so important. Yeah. Resilience. Absolutely. Mm. And culturally. Mm. Yes. And you know, ferment, the joy of fermentation, it's a wonderful place to start because all you need is a little bit of bench space and you don't have to do it every week. You can make up a big batch and it lasts for a long time. You can sits out on the bench depending on the weather for a week to a couple of weeks then it can go in the fridge i do my sauerkraut in big batches so then i don't have to worry and then but if you want to do it every week then you do you know do your kefir as well your kombucha as well and all the rest of it but that's the joy everyone can do it it doesn't take heaps of time and then we're adding salt pepper condiment, sauces on our food anyway it just becomes a sprinkle of sauerkraut on there and you can take it away. You can travel with it. <laughs> it's
0: portable. I always say you can have handbag sauerkraut. I always make a little bit extra in like a small container and I keep it in my car. I, mean, I travel a lot, so keep it in my car, keep it in my handbag. So, you know, it's, it's portable. Um, and it's, it's a great way to really hack your health um, when you are travelling or you are on the road or you're not eating an optimal diet. But to add something like that to your diet is such a fantastic thing um, contribution of nutrients and probiotics and things so it's a really great way to add so much extra nutrient density to your foods
1: yeah absolutely because when you're fermenting it's not just the um that you're increasing your microbiome in your gut but you're also increasing the actual vitamins in the food so cabbage yeah. was it like 50 times more vitamin c or something crazy like huge amounts more vitamin c.
0: yeah that's right i think a handful of raw cabbage contains about 80 micrograms of vitamin c i think it's about um 800 micrograms of vitamin c when you have a handful of sauerkraut so that vitamin c isn't just retained it's significantly increased during that fermentation process um b vitamins are increased enhanced um all the enzymes and and things as well not to mention like you said the probiotics as well so yeah really powerful powerful food
1: yeah, and like you mentioned early on, you were introduced to pickles as a child and kids will eat it. My oldest is getting a little bit, she's a bit fussy, but my youngest is still on board and my oldest mm. was into it. So I'd make the red cabbage sauerkraut and just plain. And I called it red noodles and she yep. loved it. She was like, great, red noodles, I need to get a back as enthusiastic as she was yeah. but when you introduce it young like you said the palate adapts it learns to enjoy that sour taste the crunch and um, the body then sends that signal unconsciously that this is good for me therefore they get the cravings for more
0: absolutely okay. and I find naturally some some people and some children have more of an affinity to those sorts of flavors than others Um But certainly, like you said, starting kids young too, you know, and food should be fun. For For everyone, I think food should be fun. But for kids, it should be bright and fun and have fun names and have, you know, fun stories associated with it and beautiful connections. So it, 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 it speaks to people. Um, but certainly starting kids young or on fermented foods is a great way to start while their palates are still developing. Um, often even with babies, I'll give them like a teaspoon of sauerkraut juice or pickle juice um, mm. or drizzle some of that sauerkraut juice or pickle juice over their food, so over their their meat, their rice, their pasta, their veggies, their, their soups and things like that. And so what you're doing is um, they're getting the benefits, the probiotic benefits are still in the liquid and the, the juices very much so, um, but you're also um, subtly manipulating or changing their palate to start to enjoy those flavours without even realising. And so when it comes to, you know, you drizzle it over their food, they get the benefits, they start to enjoy those flavours, and then eventually you might introduce, you know, an actual pickle or some sauerkraut, and they're already used to those flavours because they've had that juice over their food for, for so long that it's no longer a confronting flavour for them. Um, that would be my hack for um, kids who are fussier, I guess, with fermented foods. Some kids, they surprise you. They love them. Um, mm-hmm. I've got two stepdaughters and one is has a more neutral palate, but one, she just loves fermented foods and spicy foods and strong flavours. It's just she eats lemons and chilli and pickles. She just loves those flavours. Um, and, you know, some people are really drawn instinctively to those, those sort of strong kind of compelling, delicious flavours of fermented foods.
1: Yeah, and sometimes other kids will grow into it. So just like that reintroduction every now and then, and then one day they like it after that. Exactly. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. So I'm aware of the time. It's, it's just been such an amazing info. I know. Field.
0: I'm okay to keep talking if you want. I know you've got your listeners are
1: <laughs> probably.
0: Um, so talking about I, I if you want to go a little bit further, I can, Shell.
1: Yeah, great. So I would yeah. love to kind of finish off by talking about the um, this holistic picture that you've come to expand into and offer with holistic counselling and why you think that's so important to address mind, body, spirit, and a little bit of an insight into how you, with your own individual um, way, are doing that.
0: Yeah, okay. So, um I've been running Fermenting Australia for a long time, touring and teaching and loving it. Um, and then, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've had you know a lot of my own, life, like we all do, a lot of my own life challenges along the way um, and have been healing myself um, on a lot of levels for, for quite some time. I've been on a big, big journey of personal healing and personal growth. Um, a couple of years ago, I suffered another quite significant trauma and I remember saying to my counsellor, saying, I don't know who I am anymore and I I don't know what I want to be when I grow up anymore. And he said, well, he said, you'd be a great (laughs) counsellor. I said, really? He said, yeah. So, and it made sense to me. I've been doing a lot of personal counselling for a long time. Um, I've, I've trained as a shamanic practitioner and a Reiki practitioner, so working energy healing and healing on a soul level. And then I said, you know, so I've got the physical stuff covered. You know, if we can heal the gut, we can heal, you know, physically and nutritionally. You know, I'm on board with that. On a soul level, you know, I was working as a ceremonial leader and working in, in um, as a shamanic practitioner, which I still I still do that as well. Um, I said, but what about that emotional level? And I was finding more and more, particularly through my own experience, that no matter how good your diet is or how healthy you are physically, if there is trauma or unresolved grief or, you know, something going on for you in in an emotional level, you'll never experience true health. And that was really the story for me. You know, I was very physically healthy, but I was stuck in significant trauma and PTSD. So I continued my own personal journey, a healing journey, and personal, I guess, development kind of process. And I trained to become a counsellor. And so now I work in private practice as a holistic counsellor as well. So it's called semi Holistic Counselling. <laughs> it's not a particularly um clever name, but um it is what it is. Um, and oh,
1: I'm also you... just the names that say what they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's that's what I do. Um, and it my counselling practice really is meeting. It's person-centred counselling. Um, I incorporate, you know, a lot of, a lot of my um, spiritual healing as well so for people who resonate with that. Um, I do EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, also known as tapping, which is incredible for, for releasing trauma and, and things like that as well. And I work as a counsellor and I meet people where they're at. That's what's really important to me is, is acknowledging that I'm not an expert in your life. You are an expert in your own life. Um, and it's about meeting my client's, where they're at and walking along beside them and helping them to grow and to really um, find the best versions of themselves and to change and evolve to to um, to get themselves out of situations that may have helped them back in the past. Um, so yes, yeah, so holistic counselling really is it's fantastic. It, it works on a, a you know I work some clients I make sour crap with them while we're talking um, and working on that physical level as well as dealing with like you know emotional support. And, and spiritual and um, soul work as well. Oh, so I love that. so yeah, it's, it's Super. um, it's just Shelley. It's just beautiful to witness people evolving and growing and healing. It's something that I um, it's a real honour to to be part of. Um, yeah, you, I don't think you mentioned but probably how we originally got to know each other was I was a doula supporting women during birth. Um, I worked as a doula for about six years um, and I've sort of come full circle, you know, I feel like I doula people's lives a lot, you know, sort of mothering the mother, you know, supporting them along um, and then that's led me into some of, I guess, sort of the interest in the in death work as well, which I'll come to in a moment. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's really beautiful to be able to work one-on-one with people as a counsellor. Um, I take clients face-to-face and I have a lot of online clients as well and, um, yeah, like I said, it's just a real honour to be able to help people to grow and help people to change and to acknowledge that things aren't always easy um, but we have it inside of ourselves to grow and evolve and change and heal. Um, I I end up having a lot of um, spiritual counselling clients as well, so a lot of people going through, you know, spiritual crisis, dark night of the soul, those deep, deep questions of, who am I and why am I here and how do I get over these, these dark, you know, challenges that I'm facing? Um, so being able to sort of help people navigate, I guess, some of those more um, existential and sort of spiritual questions as well is, is really fantastic. Um, having having experienced it all myself as well um, and, and being able to come out the other side um, is, is very exciting and um, I love to
1: be able to share that with people. Mm, so important because it's something we've really lost is that guidance, that spiritual guidance to what is our purpose. And purpose really brings so much fulfilment and holistic happiness and contentment in people's lives. I see that all the time if someone's
0: yes. looking for
1: their purpose, that's one thing. But then when they find it, even if that shifts and changes over time, it automatically their health changes. Mm-hmm. So... And the trauma aspect, I think, so important that you mentioned, that if someone is still experiencing and in the trauma response, so looking at the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system, if they still haven't been able to calm their nervous system to a point where they can operate in the world in a way that feels mostly comfortable most of the time and they can feel content in with their, where they're at, where they've come from then, of course, the physical health is going to suffer. So until that's addressed, you can do all the diet changes and see all the naturopaths and do all of that and still not see that last bit or that change, that shift that you really need. So, yeah, I think it's so important to address that holistically and look at how people can be making that shift in a spiritual way and emotional and trauma resolution. Well,
0: that's it. We're complex beings, aren't we? We're not when we're far from simple um and I I think we do need to address all those levels of of health um yeah to to achieve true true health and vitality um it's really important yeah
1: and just like the rejection of certain traditional foods has been lost or rejected or forgotten about with the um striving to live a modern world so has as people have moved away from religion I see people that go to church I'm connected to a church through my mother-in-law even though I don't go to church I go to some events and it's a beautiful community and it gives people a lot of purpose but for me church isn't my place and if it's not and if it is your place that's wonderful But if it's not your place so in people moving away from that we still yet to find that replacement that fulfills that aspect of our humanity and I think that's yeah, we're reviving that as well. Alongside these traditional foods, we're reviving that access to spirituality and connectedness to community.
0: I and agree. We've grown up in tribes we've grown up around a religious or a spiritual a church or a group or a tribe, and now when we don't have that, there's something missing in the collective, and I think we feel it on a deep level, even if we don't have words for it. When people say, I don't know my purpose, I don't know who I am, I don't feel connected. Um, it's because we no longer have that connection that humanity has always thrived on. Um, and like you said, often it, it is. It has been the church or it has been a community group that's kept people together. And when that's fragmented, people feel lost. So, yes, it's really encouraging people to, to find, you know, find their tribe or find their own, their own purpose through their own groups and communities and spiritual groups or whatever that may be um, where they can feel that connection and that coming home to self again.
1: Mm, yeah so important and so yeah you started off on in this sort of work as a birth doula and now mm. you've come around like you said working with people's lives but you're also really called to working with people at the more prickly end of life which is death that people feel often feel really uncomfortable about because I guess it, it's our fate we're all going to die at some point and it's it's horrible it can bring up dark nights and soul. loss is really challenging but I think it's more so challenging. Um, and we met after the loss of my first child at birth, Bodhi, someone um, connected us. And I really learned in that time how little I knew about death and how little I knew about how, what people's responses to death would be, how I could deal with it, how my community could support me, although I was definitely on the luckier end of the spectrum with that. Um, so is that how you've come around to be passionate about death work?
0: Yeah, I think something about death work has always called me, Shelley, and I think it's always been probably I, I, I like to play in that in that shadow work. But I like to play in the places where people are uncomfortable um, and it, where there's a taboo or where there's a discomfort or discordance or there's no language to support an emotion. I like, I go, right, What what's going on here? Let, let's, let's. Let's let's um, dissect this. So I agree. You know, death is something that we are very unco- mostly are very uncomfortable about. Um, don't have a language for. We don't have a language for, for loss and grief and supporting people through those those things. Um, and I know that we met um, after you lost Bodhi and I would had a miscarriage and that's how we the two of us connected years ago, wasn't it, Shelley? And um, again, I felt the same thing. You know, I had there was no no support, no language to kind of talk about those really uncomfortable or really sad, um, almost taboos still in our culture. And then, you know, years prior, having had a partner who died by suicide, again, you you know, that word even triggers people, you know, they get uncomfortable and can't talk about it. I said, but that's uncomfortable for you. But I'm living the grief of suicide. So we need to find a way to um to support people who are who are grieving or who are facing their own mortality, um, to to give them that that space and to give them that that kind of I guess settling, um, because it really can be a really uncomfortable time for people. So yeah, so I you know really have done a lot of research into death and I, I love to work in, in grief and loss with clients who again you know, don't often have a way to express their grief you know in any other in any other place but in the therapy room um, and are looking for ways to find the words around loss and grief um, and I trained as a funeral celebrant this year as well um, again I think one of the you know we, we, I love story and I love narrative and I love you know it connects to fermented food it's about decay and and food breaking down, but then coming back bigger and better than some of its life, some of its parts through this fermentation process. And I believe that you know grief and trauma are all part of that same spectrum. you know we go through this dark night of the soul, we go through this hero's journey of pain and decay and destruction and grief and trauma, but with the right support, with the right words, with the right stories, with the right community, we can return um, bigger and stronger than the sum of our parts. You know, we can transcend the pain of our story and our experience and when we do that, we can start helping others do the same. Um, so that's, you know, something that, you know, is part of, I think, my my obligation um, is to, to heal people after having healed myself, having been through significant grief and, and trauma and coming out the other side. Um, I can help people, you know, transverse that, that, that unknown world of loss and trauma and that dark night of the soul that comes with it often. And so, yeah, working in, in funeral celebrancy I think is a beautiful way to honour not only a loved one who's passed but the family who's left behind um, and to hold that space for them and allow people to, to heal by sharing their stories and to heal by um, expressing grief in a really healthy way. So um, yeah, that's that's you know that's for the future for me. That's something that I will uh, continue to grow in and evolve in in that kind of I guess that death space and that funeral space as well. Um, but again, I think it's something that we we don't have we don't put a lot of um, a lot of our energy to because it can be uncomfortable. And when something like that comes into my awareness, I realise that that's exactly where we need to be putting our energy into because that's where the people need it most.
1: Mm. Yeah, because if you've got anyone suffering in society, then really that whole society, everyone suffers. And Mm. that death work is honouring your own feelings and your own um, healing in that, but also honouring the person who's passed or passing and... And therefore, creating a more well-rounded society. I think that's a beautiful place to sort of wrap up. And Mm. we've covered (laughs) we've covered so much. Birth, death, life, fermentation, (laughs) and And it's all just part of the
0: cycle of life. You know, I think sometimes people see what I do. They go, "Oh my gosh, you do this and this and this and this." I think, well, actually, when we look at it as a whole, we look at the body as a a holistic being. We look at you. Disease, simply meaning dis-ease, like a discordance, a disbalance. If we can bring it back into that cycle of birth, decay, destruction, death, life, fermentation, I think they all um, play out really beautiful on this, on this wheel of life um, and it's really about, you know, honouring that and being comfortable with that and knowing that it's not always easy and beautiful and Instagrammable Sometimes it's dark and decaying and it smells like rotted cabbage, um, but that's okay too and that's part of that life process. Um, and, yeah, and so, yeah, I think it is a, a beautiful way to, to end um, saying, you no, know, we're, we're all part of this dynamic interplay of life you know, in our own cycles, in our seasonal cycles, um, cycles in our community, within the earth, um, and when we connect to that and we bring it back into this big, beautiful um, circle of life, then I feel like that's what we find that our own personal balance and our own health as well.
1: Mm, so well said. And embracing death in a really healthy way can be really empowering for life. Absolutely, absolutely. He's such an inspiring and beautiful speaker, and I'm sure people are going to get so much from this. I'm really excited to share. But well, I would love for you to share where people can find out more about you and what you're doing. Oh, and I totally get your multifaceted multifaceted being I like, get the cross-pollinating thing I really see the picture yeah please yes, I,
0: yeah I used to shy away from that show because I, I felt like I just sounded like a schizophrenic or something. I did, I did this and this and this, and, this. <laughs> and it wasn't until I ran into you once we were talking I think we we're in a cafe and you said you're a cross-pollinator and I went yes thank you and that um you really helped me put that um, that at ease, so I, I thank you for that as well. And to really um, now own that, I, I do work a lot across a lot of different um, facets, I guess, of, of business and of life. But they cross pollinate and they all connect in together. So you really helped me with that. So thank you, Shelley.
1: Oh, that's right. I've really struggled myself. I still struggle with it. I'm still really. <laughs> I'm coming to more peace with it day by day, and learning to but I also listen to a great podcast between Oprah and um, Liz Gilbert a awesome. very popular author who and Liz is not a cross-pollinator I forget what she I think she called it a jackhammer and a hummingbird so she talked about how some people like her are jackhammers and they just go full throttle like to the exclusion and to the sacrifice of a lot of things around them to get one project done and she used to teach and preach that to be a writer you've got to just give up everything and do this and then over time life and wisdom came in and she realized there were hummingbirds who flitted Mm. and cross-pollinated and I listened to this after I thought about the cross-pollinating term it sort of just confirmed it for me that um and that's really powerful too we need all types absolutely definitely so where can people find you
0: So you can find my Fermenting Australia stuff on I have a website called FermentingAustralia.com.au and a pretty active uh, Facebook page and Instagram page, Fermenting Australia. Instagram is Fermenting underscore Australia. Um, I have a closed Facebook group as well called Semis Fermenting Friends and it's got about 1,500 people in it, most who have done my class, Um, and it's a really great um, Fermenting support group. So if anyone would like to join that, they're welcome to knock on the door and I'll let them in and um, I can, you know, guide, you know, we've got a great community of people there who can support you with your fermenting questions and things like that as well. I do have an online fermenting masterclass that you can purchase online through my website, fermentingaustralia.com.au, where you can learn to ferment at home. But I do run classes as well. So I've got some upcoming classes in uh, Blacksmiths near Caves Beach, Central Coast, Dengar Island, um, where else am I? Port Macquarie. I think that's me till the end of the year. And, of course, I've got my Western A Price Seminar with Brenda um, in November in Castle Hill in Sydney as well. You can also find... What else do I do? You can find my um, my holistic counselling. At the moment, I've just got a Facebook page. It's Sammy Zayco Holistic Counselling. Um, that will be. I'm um, working on a, a bigger website that will incorporate all of those things in eventually. But for now, that's where you can find me there. Um, and with the Gut Warriors, with my beautiful, a beautiful girl, Jaya, my business partner with the Gut Warriors, um, we've taken this year off to build our own private practices. So I've been building my counselling practice, and she's been building her colonic uh, business. Uh, but hopefully next year we will continue to tour with gut health seminars as well. And. You've got a yeah. book. You've got an ebook. Oh, I have an ebook. Yes, I do have an ebook. I have an ebook called a uh, sauerkraut ebook, which you can also find on my website, and which is a really good one. There's, I think, there's twelve um, really delicious and quite um, fun and quirky um, sauerkraut recipes, as well as the basics as well to get you started. So that's a really great one to um, to throw yourself into sauerkraut, um, and then of course the masterclass if you want to go further online. And I, um, like all of us, Shelley, I've got a few books that I'm secretly writing away at behind the scenes as well. So, you know, one day we'll do another interview and I'll tell you all about
1: those too. I really look forward to that and we'll talk about that a little bit once I stop recording. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'll put all those links up. And, um, yeah, super excited to have you back when the book's been birthed. Yes.
0: Yes, and thank you. It's just I, I love seeing all the great things you're doing as well. It's just you know, cross-pollinating and just, just healing and changing and helping people and, yeah,
1: really, really inspiring, Shelley. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback, I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have and also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmummers.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.